Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I definitely think in a more remote first working environment, people will have to get very smart about how they use humor to connect teams when you can't actually physically be with one another. Um, and I think successful leaders will definitely invest time in doing that. Welcome to the Humorology Podcast with me, Paul Barros, and my glittering lineup of guests from the worlds of business, sport, and comedy, who are going to share their wisdom and their use of humor. Humorology is the study of how humor can dramatically improve your business success and your life. Humorology puts the fun into business fundamentals, increases the value of your laughing stock, and puts a punchline back into your bottom line. Please remember to like, subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Our guest on this edition of the Humorology podcast is a hugely experienced publishing director and content expert who has been group advertising director at Hearst and executive director and publisher at the huge media brands of Cosmopolitan and Stylist. Recently, she spurned the traditional media to become managing director of Acast, the world's leading podcast marketplace. She looks after some of the world's most listened to and influential podcasts, whose content catalogue gets more than 225 million listens each month on every platform, from Apple to Google to Spotify. She's committed to continually supporting and amplifying the voices that have not been supported in the mainstream media. She's also committed to making business more fun. Georgina Holt, welcome to the Humorology podcast. Thank you so much, Paul. What a wonderful introduction. I'll give you the money later. Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs> it was all true and it was all from the heart. Thank you. So, um, you make a number of huge podcasts around the world, as I said in my introduction, and a number of the top podcasts at ACAST have humour in them. I'm thinking of about Snog Married Annoyed or Shag Married Annoyed or whatever. That's the one. Uh, off the Menu, um, Adam Buxton, um, and um, my favourite title ever, My Dad Made a Porno. <laughs> which is funny in itself. How does humour elevate podcasts? 
I mean, I think it's just the most wonderful format for comedy, you know, the the audio format where the the end user or the audience can go on their own visual journey and connect the dots of the gag via their own internal landscape. I just think it's the most wonderful format to do that. And it's a real um, place for escapism as well. Uh, I think that we often... <sighs> you know, forget that the audio landscape is is a beautiful, a beautiful place to escape to. And I think comedy, particularly in that format, can be done to the most exquisite, exquisite standards, whether it's high production value, whether it's a conversation between two friends, whether it's, you know, uh, a conversation around food or, or relationships, there's there's so much to explore within the podcasting landscape, particularly in in the comedy space, and we've seen some some brilliant respected comedians transition to podcasting as a, as a platform for their art and self expression, but also people who aren't broadcasters, people who haven't come up through um, traditional media, find their voice and their community on podcasts via comedy. Um, and I just love the fact that we enable that to happen. It, it's a wonderful thing to kind of see take shape and grow. And does it affect how you actually um, gauge whether a podcast is going to be right for Acast? Uh, do you think whatever it is, if it's gardening or cookery or anything, is, is comedy the difference that makes the difference? I mean, I think because podcasting is is so, so broad and can speak to any sort of niche interest or passion or... or um, you know, community and audience that there really is something for everyone. So comedy can be quite sort of subjective and personal. So whilst we don't kind of judge like, is this funny or is this not funny? We know the communities that do find it funny and is this going to re resonate with them? Is this going to find find their people and their, and their place on our network through the power of podcasting? So um, I think it's sort of rather than us judging whether something is going to be funny, we kind of let it grow organically over time. And quite often, you know, the big broadcasters will come to us and want to launch a podcast and we know they'll bring a certain audience with them. But sometimes the joy is seeing the smaller podcasters just grow organically over time and start to become, you know, the really big giants that we know and love today. It, and is there a difference because direct comedy because I, I as you may know I used to uh, work in comedy um, and something that is just witty something that's just mm. humorous that something that has a light touch mm. does that make a difference I think it does I think you know what you find in a lot of podcast comedy formats is it's quite observational it's quite conversational it's usually set in something that is common to all of us you know we see a lot of um great podcasts use comedy talking about food and relationships i've already said so i think the deafness of touch and the lightness of touch that can be done through the audio experience can you know be amplified tenfold that perhaps it wouldn't be done in the visual space um so i think you know you don't see as many sort of direct stand-up style podcasts it tends to be the art of comedy through conversation and observation that we see really kind of i guess engage audiences and really find that growth over time that we all want everyone to have so i think it it really depends on on who you're trying to reach and why you want to reach them and the community you intend to build around it and that's where we see the greatest success so what makes you laugh oh that's a great question um i'm very quick to laugh um i really love story-based humor kind of that humor that's based in sort of incisive 
awkward reality um like fleabag or humor that kind of uh makes the everyday funny or takes the everyday and elevates it to a to a place where it becomes exceptional wit and comedy like this country or the office so i kind of like reality and observational based comedy um and i love you know comedy that that builds a narrative and a story over time so i'm very attracted to that type of to that type of laughter i'm certainly very quick to laugh in those situations when i see it so you mentioned fleabag i mm. mean which i think was the exceptional uh, comedy probably of the last five years mm. if not more and uh, do you think that now we are going to get more people coming through because i know that one of your passions is to bring people through who don't normally have mm. a voice mm. and do you think that this is a way to get more voices especially humorous voices out there I mean, absolutely. Podcasting is an amazing format. You, as long as you have a good piece of recording equipment, something to say, and the ability to say it in a way that's going to engage people, the opportunity is there for you to to kind of start building an audience and, and growing a, a podcast. Um, and I think what Phoebe Waller-Bridge did so beautifully was was to take. I mean, it started off as a theatre production, so you know, it's a one-woman show, which I which I saw and was lucky enough to see. So she. She managed to take what was, I think, probably one of the most beautifully observed comedic performances um, and translate it from the stage to the screen. I'm sure it would have done beautifully well in a podcast as well. And I particularly loved about that is the breaking of the third wall when she kind of, you know, winks at you and, you know, you're in on the joke, you're with me on this, we're all in this together. And it's a, it's a, it's a very very useful and effective tool in comedy and I, I particularly enjoyed that because it was I think taking some of the most you know saddest and tricky moments in a woman's life and and poking fun at it and, and making it funny and relatable and um, energizing and sad and empathetic all at the same time I just think she did an incredible job and I, I hope that that has just encouraged more and more female writers and I hope more diverse female writers to to be brave enough to start to put their story out there and use that as a as a place to find comedic escapism not only just for themselves but for the audience they're intending to reach and do you do you think that that podcast model is going to be the breakthrough that that lots of people need because I, I you know I come from the comedy circuit and mm. you know it takes a lot mm. to get up on the com comedy sore stage but it doesn't take so much to put up a microphone and tell your story so do you mm. think that that more people because presumably you can record a podcast on your phone yeah absolutely and you know Acast has got some amazing technology to enable the kind of bedroom podcaster to really start to create something of a of a, of a, a good standard that's going to be you know heard well and what we really want to do and why i love podcasting so much is we are a very democratic media you know we are here to help storytellers find the audiences they deserve and you know whether that's storytelling through comedy storytelling through observation conversation you know that is what podcasting has enabled people to do and i i think um, apple reached a milestone recently there's a million podcasts on apple so you know from a from a format to use for self-expression 
I think people are really understanding the power of that and the flexibility of that medium. And we've certainly seen it through the pandemic period or in the last couple of months is that the flexibility and agile nature of podcasting has meant that we've seen more creators create more content than ever before. We saw record weeks in terms of the number of episodes being produced, um, the number of people coming to podcasts, not only from an audience perspective, but also from a creative perspective as well. So I think the kind of the format itself has proved more so than ever over the last few months not only is it there to kind of engage an audience in a really meaningful and you know emotive and and trusted space but also is allowing creators the opportunity to to produce content at a very easy cost-effective agile way and how do you think that that's going to affect the diversity of, you know, messages coming in? Because, mm. you know, that's what the media hasn't been terribly mm. good at, uh, or traditional media, mm. because there have been barriers. And I think what you're, what you're saying and what you're leading as a leader is a revolution, isn't it? To make sort of um, your message accessible to more people. What advice would you give to somebody sat at home in, let's just say, Hartlepool, um, mm. you know, who thinks I can't get into the media? What would you say to them? I mean, podcasting is an amazing place to start experiment and finding your voice, finding your narrative, finding your your point of view, your perspective. It's a great testing ground for ideas too, because you don't have to have the investment of, you know, production companies or, you know, big broadcasters behind you. You can test ideas in podcasting really rapidly to know whether that they are going to be effective, they're going to engage people. You can get immediate feedback from audiences as well if you've got a social media presence too. So it's a brilliant place to test ideas. It's a great place to understand whether something is engaging the audience you wanted it to engage or even an audience you didn't expect it to and we've seen you know podcasts grow organically over time from from you know 100 listens to 100,000 listens but also you know for for huge global talent and broadcasters to to come to audio as a place for their own self-expression which I think is really one of the only places that that uniquely happens not only does it allow someone who is literally in a bedroom with a mobile phone creating a platform for their artistic expression but then also to bring you know the, the you know the original first lady michelle obama to podcasting dolly parton to podcasting you know louis theroux these incredibly experienced orators alongside these these more kind of uh you know uh or kind of inception or early start podcasters is, is a really beautiful thing and i i really don't think there's many other mediums that allow that to happen it, it is a great leveller and it's lovely mm. to hear somebody who's a leader being in that place who is is trying to get everything levelled up. Because mm. having been around the traditional media like you have for so many years, you must have seen that it's a hard place to break into. If I, you know, if, if I live in Grimsby and I want to write for Cosmopolitan, it's not necessarily an easy thing mm. or the BBC or ITV mm. or Channel 4. Mm. I mean, so we... many of these, yeah, so many of these big companies were London centric. You don't need to be in London to be a successful podcaster. You don't need to be of a certain age, body type, look. You don't have to be from a certain, you know, uh, background, ethnicity, none of that, none of those requirements or certainly traditional requirements of success in broadcasting and in other media, none of that matter here. 
you know, it, in fact, we celebrate the diverse, we celebrate the, the voices, we want to champion those voices, and we want to bring more diverse voices to podcasting. Once you found podcasts, you, you never really, you can't get away from them, you become, you become, it's so sticky, you become addicted to the to the format and you're just constantly on this journey of discovery just to find more and more and more. Tell me a funny story about something that's happened to you. Oh, um, I, do you know what? I was thinking about this earlier about funny stories and quite often they seem to involve me falling or clothes or something ridiculous happening to me. I was on a date once and I really liked the guy, not the guy I ended up marrying, this, you know, was a date before him. Um, and we got into the taxi and I thought this is going really well. I really like this guy. And I slid what I thought was vaguely seductively across the, uh, the taxi, you know, um, and the door was open on the other side. So I went straight back out the other side of the taxi, head over feet <laughs> onto the floor, um, which was, you know, quickly tried to recover. And we both knew from that point onwards, it probably wasn't going any further. Um, I have uh, been in the reception of a media agency before and uh, had a wrap round skirt on, uh, which I trod on as I as I stood up to greet the person and my skirt stayed on the seat and I didn't. <laughs> so that was also a, a brilliant, a brilliant moment and a, and a much loved story. Um, but yeah, it, it tends to be almost, I guess physical comedy like I, I fall I you know I, I do something ridiculous and silly but yeah it, it's it's usually in those spaces I'm quick to laugh at myself as well I think it's really important well is that the hidden meaning in in those stories that you have to be quick to laugh at yourself I think so I think for me it's kind of you know life will often throw you a curveball um, and when that happens I try and often think about what's the story I will tell someone about what's happened and how I can find the comedy in that story or the human in that humor in that story even those kind of awkward and challenging moments I think it sort of helps me process feelings as well um, and I think if I can find the comedy in something I, I usually know that it's going to be okay in the long term whether it doesn't feel like it at the mo in the moment it, I usually know it's going to be okay in the longer term but is that the advice you would give to other people as well? Because mm. you are in a big leadership role. You've been in big roles in, in media. Mm. How important, because that's really the essence of the Humorology mm. podcast is, you know, why should people use humour more mm. in business? So would mm. you take that lesson away and give it to somebody else? Absolutely. I think, you know, desperately try and seek out the humor in something, you know, if you can, if you can't find it, then, you know, fair enough. Sometimes there isn't humor in everything. I, I absolutely know that. But if you can find it, if you can cling on to it and you can keep it close to you, you'll be surprised how quickly scenarios and situations become diffused either internally or externally. Well, but you would advise others to do it. As yeah, well. absolutely. And and, and our, our listeners here, I would say as a psychologist, what Georgie has just said is actually the ultimate, you know, humour is the best medicine because what it does is it changes the structure of your brain. So if you're laughing at something, it's very hard to sort of be annoyed, to go into a depression. You, you break the state, as it mm. were. And so, so what you're actually deploying is actually a real mechanism for change in yourself so i'd advise anybody 
Yeah. Fascinating. I'd also advise anyone to find someone who makes you laugh as well. I, I quite often in, in tough or intense situations in work or in life, I will often try and find someone who makes me laugh quite quickly afterwards because I just want to have that emotional and physical release of laughter, which I think we all understand how that feels. And I, I would always know the two or three people I would try and find after a tough negotiation or client conversation or, you know, I would I would try and seek out those people who who would level the situation, make me laugh either at myself, the situation or something else entirely. And I found that an amazing, amazing tool, I think, to, to process feelings. I always felt it was easier after the fact, after the laughter, in fact, to process an emotion. Well, that's really interesting. Do you think consciously or unconsciously, when you are hiring people, you are looking for a sense of humour? I think I would, I'm looking for someone who can find the lightness of touch in situations. Now, that often comes through humour and, and through someone who's able to, to, to laugh quickly. In an interview, I would love someone to be able to laugh with me and laugh along together, um, whether that's over a shared joke or a connection that we both have. I, I do like to see that in an interview situation um, because it shows to me that even in stressful situations, which interviews can be quite intense, someone is able to, to find the humour even in, in that situation. Um, I don't necessarily focus on seeking that out, but I do like to see it. I think, you see, as a psychologist who's specialising in humorology, I think it's the missing bit of the puzzle, mm. but not everybody consciously gets it. They just go, I like the person. But actually, humour is sometimes the key to that bond, isn't it? That you, you, if, you, if you can laugh together. I think it was Victor Borg, uh, the old-time Danish comedian, who said, a smile is the shortest distance between two people. Absolutely. And there is a thrill in making someone laugh, isn't there? There is a thrill in finding that moment that you have said something that has made someone else laugh. It's a thrilling feeling, you know, whether you actively seek it out. And I think it, you know, I love being made, made to laugh by other people. Is everyone funny? Probably to someone somewhere, but not always to me. I would... I would love to think that everyone's funny to someone somewhere. I don't know whether that is always true, but I, I'd like to think so. There's there, there's an audience for for most for most. Yeah, yeah. I think you're hedging your bets. There, I am. You, I am. You're yeah. going. Is it because um, as a psychologist, I could see your eye accessing cues, and you were going. Ooh. Oh no! I remember that person. They yes. definitely weren't funny to anyone. Yeah, they. Yeah, maybe to themselves. You know, maybe they're hilarious to themselves and maybe that's OK. Well, that's that's schizophrenia generally. <laughs> I quite like your optimism. I, well, I do really like your optimism that everyone is funny to someone somewhere. Mm. I think it's a nice thing because also what that shows, because a lot of leaders I talk to in business and work within business, I always tell them the same thing, that when you walk into a room, and I think this is what you have in spades, if you like, is that you like people automatically and it mm. comes across. Do you do that consciously or is it just something that is you? I think it's something that I've got much better at over time or certainly have 
you know, I, I've kind of really come to learn, really come to land on and understand that, you know, while sometimes we're all experiencing the same thing, no one's experience is the same. So I have tried to reserve and remove judgment as much as I can from first meetings with people because you never quite know what they've experienced the hours the days the weeks before they've come into that room so i try and try and always go with an open heart and an open mind i can quickly get that closed down over you know after a brief conversation with someone you know that does happen from time to time but i try i try to i i i think i consciously do do it i certainly have got better at it i think you know it's uh, an understanding of of human beings over time that you build that you know people's experiences are different and they're not always going to bring their best selves to the room on that day and understanding that is important so what would the world be like without humor I can't actually imagine it. I, I, I genuinely, I genuinely couldn't. I, I certainly can't remember a, a day or a, certainly a few days where I haven't laughed, even in even in the darkest of situations. Is again, I, I, I guess I'm a person who tries to seek it out, even when terrible things have happened. I, I find that release really important. So, I don't think it'd be somewhere I'd want to stay for very long. I have certainly been in in times and spaces where you feel people suck the funny out of the room or they suck the fun out of the room and you're like, oh, God, this is going to be really tricky. Um, and you have to understand that. And, you know, that's something that you accept. But I, you, could, you know that feeling when someone just sucks it out of the room and you're like, oh, this is this is not good. I call those people dementors, <laughs> like in Harry Potter. You know, yeah. you know, they're they're a comedy black hole. Yeah, you know, just, you know, all the comedy just gets dragged yeah. out of the place. On a serious note, that is, I think, what makes people more employable. And we're about to go into a, a time where how to get employed is going to be much more difficult. I think everybody uh, agrees with that. And so I think what people have to understand, and from a leader like yourself, is what will make them a better part of the team? What will make them more, more genuinely somebody who you want to have around? And that comes down to personality. But I think you're saying that humour is a big part of that. Humour is a big part of that. Kindness is a huge part of me. It's such an overused term in a way that, you know, it seems to be applicable to so many different aspects, but it is a universally important thing for me that, you know, I, I need to see someone who's empathetic, who's kind, who, even if you're asking someone to deal with tough situations or scenarios or that job requires a certain characteristic that perhaps would not be aligned to kindness in the first reading of the job description that's still what I'm looking for underneath it and I don't expect people to be stand-up comedians but it's just again that shared connection of laughter that you know it's just finding those those moments of lightness and brevity and I think if you're a, a kind person who has good intentions and is 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 humble and honorable you you'll quite often be somebody who can who can quickly laugh too i think it kind of all goes hand in hand well uh, we were talking to alistair mcgowan um about this same thing earlier and we were talking about that there's a difference between wit and funny and mm. wit and and you you said you know somebody uh, who is warm and kind mm. And I think that is to do with 
humor as in humanizing mm, and and absolutely who the, the warmth is i think a part of humor mm, and you mm. don't have to be the person who is making the jokes to be part of the funny if you see mm -hmm. what i mean you can be a great audience you can be a great listener you can give off the right vibe that invites other people to be funny and mm. if you are giving off that you're vital to, mm. to that thing what do you think about that i i think that's a great point i mean you know that like i talked about before the the thrill of making someone laugh there are people who will who will always want to seek out the you know the audience for their for their humor and um their conversation and you know sometimes it's just as joyous to be the people who are laughing as it is to be the people who are making someone else laugh so i I will always count the best moments of my life, I think, laughing till I cry, you know, and 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 there are people in my life who I know I will do that with on a on a regular daily basis sometimes. Um there's not literally for me, I think it's probably the best feeling in the world, laughing until you cry. I can't I can't think of anything that comes close to that feeling. Um uh soundless, tearful laughter is is the best possible feeling in the world you can't bottle it i don't think you can get it from anything else um and sometimes the people doing the laughing is just as important as the people making you laugh it's a, it's a symbiotic process isn't it mm. it's 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 a two-way street mm. you have to be you have to and and what i loved when you said earlier is that you laugh easily mm. and you, you love to laugh <laughs> yeah. and and but but by the way that is a very attractive trait to anybody listening out there. That is as important. I have a great friend who is witty, but is not as quick as the rest of us when we're doing gags. But we love him because he laughs so easily and he's a mm -hmm. joy to be around. I think if you can find someone who you want to laugh with, that is that is that is really important. And I, I have a few friends that I will always love to laugh with, and I look forward to seeing them because I know I'm going to laugh, and that I look forward to that that feeling and feel renewed and energized after it happens. Uh, sometimes exhausted as well because you'll see laughter can be tiring sometimes too. But yeah. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. But isn't that wonderful? You see it, I'm looking at your face. And you see, this is what happens. You just have to think about those people. Mm. And a smile plays across your face. Yeah, and I it try. changes your whole mood. And that that's, you know, I think, you know, that's what business should do as well. We all spend so much time at work mm. that if you can bring some laughter into a, a workplace scenario, you're mm -hmm. doing everybody a favour. Yeah, because it's so good for you. You know, laughter, as we know, is you talked about it being the best medicine. But, you know, there's I mean, you'll know this better than anyone. But the science to show how good laughing is for you, it releases endorphins. It releases chemicals in the body that help relax you. It releases chemicals that are similar to the love chemical, you know, oxytocin. Like all of those all of those chemicals are released. So actually being quick to laugh and, and, and finding people that help you do that is going to make you feel better and feel good, whether it's conscious or I, I've done it consciously or unconsciously. I think I've sought out that good feeling um, when I've certainly particularly in, in di more difficult times, but it really is so good for you. <laughs> well, then we should bottle it and sell we it. We should. If only if only, I mean, it's surprising that no one's been able to do that yet. I mean, they kind of have, but it's not legal. <laughs> 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 yeah, well, cut that bit. Cut that out. <laughs> Do you find yourself funny? I guess I find myself funny. I've never really told myself a joke, but I'm sure <laughs> I well, might I think do. you just did. I think you just did. <laughs> and it killed. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry. Yeah, maybe I do. But sometimes it's the, it's the ridiculousness of myself sometimes that I find funny. But yeah. Well, but that's it. It's, but you see, funny is also from psychologically a belief system of yeah. like, you know, do I believe I can be? Because if you go, I'm not funny, I'm not funny, I'm not funny, you will walk into every situation expecting that to be the truth but you've just mm. actually uh, showed in the round you've just gone yes i do think i'm funny because people react and i laugh and you know part of being funny and to those of you just listening on the podcast georgie has a face that lights up <laughs> oh, no it, it's it's i mean it's blackpool tower ladies and gentlemen it, it but it is and that's a gift. I've done gigs where I've, I've had people in the audience who've had resting bitch face. I have heard that term, yes. <laughs> and everything. You've, if there is an opposite to resting bitch face, you've got it. <laughs> okay. wow. and, uh, write in and tell us what that is. <laughs> Do you think people laugh enough at work? 
In the places I've worked, yes. Um, but then I've worked in media and creative environments that tends to uh, attract sort of quite large personalities or or people who like the the crowd and like to kind of you know show off I suppose to a certain extent there's a lot of natural um you know people who, a lot of natural people who like the limelight in in media and the creative industry so I, I I think I probably have a career path that has attracted people who like to make people laugh or certainly can tell a good story and to engage a crowd I think it doesn't happen in all workplaces potentially but I, I, certainly in the work in the world I've worked we, uh, there's always been laughter so I feel incredibly lucky to have chosen this career path and probably in time when I when I go to retire or I eventually ever change direction I, I think one of the lasting things I would say is I really laughed a lot that was really funny I'm really interested to sort of develop that a little bit more because you said because of the media you think that I think humour is in all good workplaces mm. and and places where because where the leaders are actually encouraging people to have fun because uh, you know there's there's an American statistic that you know eighty five percent of all your success in life is down to the quality of your relationship and people crave fun I mean as a leader. Uh, we have a lot of leaders listening to this podcast, I'm sure. But if you can create an environment, so I'm not sure it is just about media. I think it's mm. just about good leadership. What do, what do you think about that? I, I mean, I've I've worked for some very serious people as well who take uh, leadership incredibly seriously. I think probably the leaders I've gravitated towards over time have certainly been the ones who were who were funnier or certainly used humour effectively in the workplace. And I think in terms of team culture and motivation, I think motivation through through fun, enjoyment and, and humour can be I think what I've from what I've seen, certainly or certainly how I've been managed, can be absolutely one of the most effective leadership tools. Um, and I think can create lasting, you know, deep bonds between human beings. And, you know, you're going into work for, for perhaps a different reason than you would just to collect a paycheck. You're going in because you're having a good time. Um, and we used to, uh, way back in the day in one of my sort of early jobs, we used to have such a good time. We used to say to each other at the end of the week, would you have done this for free this week? And, you know, well, of course, we all have bills to pay. The answer would have been, yeah, maybe I would have done, you know, and that for me was it was when we were getting paid absolutely nothing anyway. So probably wouldn't have mattered. But it was it was that thing of I think I might have done it for free this week. It was just so good. We had such a good time. But I, I don't I think you can build that case in any workplace. I really do. And and you go, OK, media, it's more fun. We, you know, we have more parties. We're doing it. But it's still a serious job. Yeah. Actually, if if you work in a, a, a donut shop, is there any reason you can't create a fun atmosphere where people are laughing? They're serious when they're doing their job. Yeah. It's it's possible. And I think that's going to be what the next generation of leaders have to really understand and take on board is that this is going to be, as I said before, the difference that makes a difference. 
Mm. to any workplace and all those people who are, uh, are going well you know we're, we're having trouble with retention mm. and doing everything guess what people who are laughing at work the story you told georgie are mm. less likely to leave mm. you know and because you make deep you make close emotional bonds with people it, it becomes about human relationships over the work you're doing and i think you know when people are laughing at work or certainly finding humor in the workplace and i think you know more so now than ever it's important when we're not together we're socially distant we are doing something that is so unhuman you know it's not it's not in supposed to be in our dna to be separated from one another and i think you know using humor as a connector right now or a, an ability to connect people across video calls across email across whatever platform you're using to connect with teams it's one of those things it's universal laughter it, you know it, it, we all have that emotion within us it's not something that is potentially taught or learnt. you know we're all able or should all be able to laugh um, so I, I definitely think in a more remote first working environment, people will have to get very smart about how they use humour to connect teams when you can't actually physically be with one another. Um, and I think successful leaders will definitely invest time in doing that. If I asked you to make a business case for humour, mm. what would you include? Um, I probably include every single scientific paper that's ever been written about how good laughter is for you physically and emotionally. And, you know, good leaders and good businesses should want happy, healthy, relaxed staff, because that is where not only do you get the best out of people, the best teams are formed, the best results are created for, for whatever industry you're in. You know, you have to invest in in, in things that are going to bring you together and things get a level, a leveler in an intensely stressful situation for most people. And I think laughter is a great, great way to do that. And I think it can it can build real, real resilience as well. I think if you can find the humor, it can build resilience in teams and people in, in yourself, um, because if you're trying to seek out the funny, then, you know, your chances are you're going to bounce back. I think that's brilliant. So how would you actually measure ROI, return on investment? Maybe it should be ROL, return on laughter, instead. Oh, I love that. That's going Maybe. in the book. <laughs> you can have that one. <laughs> yeah, return on laughter. I mean, I, I mean, it's it's for me. It's about healthy, happy staff who emotionally uh, are emotionally available in there for one another and that's in the good times and the bad and but you know staff well-being staff mental health good positive mental health teams that are confident and and want to create positive change and and do good work and do good things i i, I think that laughter is something that connects all of those ambitions i think laughter can really move on tough situations quite quickly so i i would think that there's a, a good return on investment in every area by the way, that that's a chapter on its own in the new book. <laughs> it's no, no, it's brilliant because I, I, you know, you mentioned resilience. Of course, that is what happens. Is uh, it sounds like it's you know the, the, the podcast, the, the underlying the serious business of comedy at work, but it mm. is kind of serious. When you have resilience, guess what? You you use the term bouncing back. Well, you have to create the culture first, mm. in my view. 
Mm. And you can't just go, you know, everything's gone to pot and you go, well, why can't you just laugh at it? Mm. You know, you, you have to have built a culture whereby there is fun, there is good energy. Mm then you can get resilience and creating a space for laughter i think you know you have to let that space be allowed to happen you know you have to let those moments happen you have to allow the laughter to come you have to allow the tears to come you have to let the emotions come at work and laughter is you know i've been you know crying is sort of just laughter upside down and and vice versa and I, I, you have to allow space for all of it and i you know you can't just allow space for the laughter because that uh, uh, solely laughter you have to let space for all emotions to appear um and i think that's when great teams are built as you allow the space for the emotion to come and whilst we always want it to be laughter sometimes it's not sometimes it, it it's the exact opposite of that but i think if people know that both all and any emotion is and can find a space in the workplace, whether that's publicly or privately. I, I, I think that that's when people realize that they're humans at work, they're not numbers, they're not results. They are human beings who are valued by other human beings. And we are human beings with complex sets of emotions. And, you know, I would always love to think that laughter is one of the first emotions that people can find at ACAST, but, you know, sometimes it's just not. And, and that's okay too. And you've got to allow space for all of it. Well, as a psychologist, I can tell you that if you allow, uh, and by the way, that should be the, your new book, Allow Space for the Emotions, you know, <laughs> Space for the Emotions. I can see it now. Great <laughs> title. Uh, a little thing. But it, you're quite right that I'm coming at it just from the humour angle, mm. but you've hit on something perfect because if you allow space for laughter, you have to allow space for some tears. But remember that one can lean over into the other very very quickly so that's that's fabulous i i mean i think you've got your ted talk all sorted now <laughs> i just go on stage and start crying and laughing at the same time and everyone will be like who is this quite odd woman who's just standing up here laughing and crying but like you know those those two emotions are very closely linked to me and like we cry with laughter and sometimes you know the reverse happens too but um i, I i'm a, a big believer in a letting giving the space to to let it to let it happen in a, in a in a way that um i think people then feel that my emotions are respected here my emotions are understood I therefore bring my whole self to work. I don't have to hide elements of who I am um, because everything is kind of accepted. And I think you find that laughter usually tends to be the number one emotion that most people lead with when they know they've got the space to do everything else. Well, I think that's brilliant. But I, I'm just going to your new career. And, uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, next on Oprah, the laughing, crying woman. <laughs> oh, I promise you I'll, uh, I'll dedicate the book to you, Paul, promise. <laughs> It's going to be huge, I can tell you that. <laughs> no, uh, have you ever taken a joke too far? Have you ever pushed the boundaries? I hope not. Um, but the line is always really personal to the individual, isn't it? You know, my line is different from yours, is different from anyone else's. So I really hope not. I, I like to think I'm a a good reader of people's emotions to understand if the, if I'm even close to a line or if someone is close to a line and I would always try and you know stop stop the gag stop the joke or you know i would like to feel that i could understand if someone was uncomfortable but the line is really personal i hope not 
Mm. And in order to be funny, which is why I asked the question, sometimes you do have to push the boundaries. What do you think? Yeah, I, 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 I think that is true if you are making a career in a profession, potentially out of being funny. I, I think sometimes when it's you, the joke at someone else's expense is not always the route that I find the funniest. I think that's sometimes the lowest common denominator on humour. Um, and it's one that I would always kind of seek to avoid. I would always self-deprecate before I did anything ever to, to kind of do anything similar to anyone else. But um, I think you can push the, I think you can push the, the lines and the boundaries if that is what you are known for and that is your choice of career. I think in leadership roles particularly, I think it's a place that you have to be, whilst, you know, let the laughter come, I think you have to not necessarily be the one to ever push the boundaries. And if you ever think you're ever close to a line, you have to take a very, very big step backwards. No, I completely agree. But you talked about self-deprecation. Do you think that good leaders can employ that? I think, you know, if you're quick to laugh at yourself, if you're, you know, there is a, a narrative to say that, that women are very self-deprecating because we often want to point out our flaws before other people do. And, you know, you're, you're doing it because there's a, a level of imposter syndrome that quite often that, that women experience and quite often you know female comedians or women in the public eye who want to be funny is usually at the expense of themselves and it's a very self-deprecating type of humor I certainly employ self-deprecation I will always try if someone's going through a tough time I'll always try and give an experience of when I did it and what a mess I made of something and and how funny it all turned out to be and you know I'll always try and point out a flaw or spot a flaw and, and give someone the joke before they can potentially get to the punchline themselves. But it, it's a really interesting, I think, more gender nuanced type of humour that women tend to be more self-deprecating than, than men. Or certainly I see that in a lot of stand-up comedians um, through observational humour. It's interesting. It's a tool, although there is more and more research to say that perhaps it has held women back over time because you're quite often pointing out your flaws ahead of someone else perhaps even noticing it was one but you're making the joke of it before someone else gets there usually always been my my humor format of choice to be self-deprecating i'm sometimes just assessing a little bit am i why am i doing that is it because it's helping them and making them feel better or am i just trying to point out a flaw that didn't need to be done in a way that I've just done. It's interesting that you use the word uh, imposter syndrome because I think most people have imposter syndrome and uh, what I think, and this is a huge generalisation, what men are better at is pushing through that and having the mm. arrogance mm. to just go with it. I think everybody has it, but actually mm. maybe women are slightly more sensitive to it mm -hmm. and therefore are nicer people and, mm -hmm. uh, and and therefore are doing that and it also therefore means that other people can take advantage of that. I've certainly had an ex experiences before where I make myself the the crux of the joke or I'm self-deprecating but then to hear someone repeat it back to me where I'm the butt because I've allowed it. It's it's a very different experience actually, and it's something that you you know be mindful of if you're using self-deprecation as a as a tool and as a way a leveler and as a a way to kind of create laughter. It's sometimes quite different when someone 
says that uses it back to you and they kind of say but you said you made it funny you made it a joke and it's like well it's a delicate line when I make it a joke about myself versus someone else using it as a joke at my expense it's that level of I'm allowed to make myself the butt of the joke but are you allowed to make me the butt of the joke it's well a, it's about yeah. boundaries at that point mm. isn't it it's about and I I think what and this is, you know, just a huge generalisation again, men are better at pushing through that and just mm. having the, the arrogance to just go, yes, I am the mm. real deal. Yeah, I think there's a bravado, isn't there, that sometimes is a, more, is, a perfect word. is a more masculine trait. I, you know, I've certainly met lots of women with bravado too, but I think it tends to be a more masculine trait. And I think self-deprecation tends to be a more feminine trait. And whether it's gender specific or just traits that people to bring as uh, as part of themselves you know it's interesting when I hear sometimes hear someone else be self-deprecating I'm like hey that's not funny you're really good at that like you know that's not something that you should be pointing out or making a joke about and then I think god I do that all the time you know it's an interesting thing when you see it flipped as well when you see someone else overuse it you think oh god yeah maybe that is something that we need to to think about as as a leader am I using it too much am I making it too much of a thing that actually is unnecessary and is inspiring other people to do the same and it's not necessary. Well, I, I work with a lot of high-profile, powerful women, so I know that. And w particularly when we're doing things like working on a big set-piece speech for a big event, I have to take a lot of those things out because I go, they really don't want to hear that bit. If you know what I mean, it's like we don't need that. We didn't need that thought process to be put in our minds. Yes, it's funny, but there are other ways of being humorous at this point. And so I, I do think it and, and I think this is very useful for people to hear because a, 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 a female leader talking about this kind of stuff, I think is is very a useful tool for people to go oh I feel like that but the fact that you're questioning it and we're talking about it I think it's very empowering and I just think you, you go you don't need to because men will do it less because they uh, thing so and as a psychologist what I'm always trying to look at is who does things really well Mm. You know, if I if I were looking for somebody who um, does empathy and easy laughter and warmth mm. really well, I'd come and I mean this sincerely, I'd come and model what you were doing, Georgie. Oh, because very kind of the, of you. No, but I am serious because I'm always looking for a thing. But sometimes men are just better at just going, no, I'm great. Everybody stand in line. And I, I, I kind of call it the old Eton thing. Mm. You know, how mm. come we've had six prime ministers who went to Eton? I went to a <laughs> comprehensive with 2,000 boys. Not one <laughs> prime minister. Not yet. Not, Not yet. yet. But I, Not I, yet. I, I'm waiting for a call, you know. Yeah, I, I would vote for you, Paul. But I, I think, I, I, I hope change is coming in, in that regard. And I... Um... I, I I hope that men understand and know that you don't have to be a, a specific type of man to succeed. And I think the more empathy and kindness and and um, understanding that we can put into both into both 
gender's attitudes towards leadership and and um, motivating teams I, I do think that as much as I'm sitting here as a woman saying oh it's about imposter syndrome as a woman and as we self-deprecate I think men have been shown for a very long time there's a very specific way to lead and there's a very specific way to to gain success and I I hope that is starting to 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 become less frequent and I think there's a lot of work to do with the young men coming through organizations to just show that you you don't have to be like you think you do to be successful here and I I, I genuinely think the change is coming and I, I hope when I eventually leave this industry I'll be leaving it in a, a much more inclusive diverse empathetic kind funny fun place where those are the qualities that matter not necessarily the bravado the ego and, and everything else that goes with it. I couldn't agree more and 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 the sooner that people wake up to it and these conversations are what I hope and what this is about that people wake up to these kind of things and go you know what these are great qualities humor mm. empathy you mm. know rapport these are the things that that really do define people not mm -hmm. bravado and bluster have you ever used humor to get you out of trouble Yes, I, I, I think it can be a brilliant distraction technique and kind of almost like a verbal sleight of hand. So I, I guess not out of trouble, so to speak. I think I would always own up to it. If, I, if I'd done something wrong or made a mistake, I, I'm definitely someone who owns up to it and hands up I've done something wrong. And, you know, but I've certainly used it as a distraction. I'm like, look at, you know, look over here instead, you know, don't look at that. But, I, you know, out of trouble, I think I would always own up to the trouble. I definitely have in the past. In business, is it survival of the fittest or survival of the funniest? I don't think it's either really fittest or, you know, survival of the fittest or survival of the funniest. I actually think that laughter is essential for, for human survival, full stop. And, you know, to have a... a a well-lived life and you know people who live well and have well-lived lives tend to i think survive the longest oh you know as, as as we know but i i i'm not sure if it's either but i certainly think laughter is part of social survival for sure well we're now coming to the part of the show that we call quick fire questions right and i had um spike edney on from queen who's the uh, fifth member and musical director of queen mm -hmm. And I said, every time I say quick fire questions, I imagine that I've got a jingle. And so, <laughs> so he wrote one off the top of his head. Right, amazing. <laughs> so, so you're gonna have to go quick fire questions. <laughs> you can do that for me, there you go, you've done it. <laughs> okay, well, well, we'll get you to do it later. Um, so quick fire questions, mm -hmm. who's the funniest business person you've met? John O'Donnell at the Evening Standard. Uh, he was my boss for a long time. One of the naturally gifted comedians. Um, actually, I think also tried did some stand up for some time as well. But a natural gift for comedy, absolutely. What book makes you laugh? Uh, anything written by Catelyn Moran. <gasps> Superb. Yeah. Yeah, incredible. What, what a comedy mind. I completely agree. Just her observational humour and the way that she can draw laughter out of, you know, what are very normal life situations. And I, what I love about her is she can draw attention to really important political and social and cultural conversations using humour in her writing. And I, 
I, I always so admire that that trait to be able to elevate important topics via humour in writing, and I, I think she does it beautifully. What film makes you laugh, Georgie? I, I think definitely films from my childhood and my teenage years, in, and it probably more is aligned to specific memories and times of my life but anything from like Ghostbusters to the Goonies to Back to the Future I I kind of have some very very fond memories of laughing till I cried with my sister at those films and repeating the lines back to each other endlessly in the car on car journeys probably much to the annoyance of my mum but yeah we used to just verbatim repeat those films back to each other and and we still do now from time to time and you know whenever I watch those films I always laugh and, and feel great while I do it. Who are you going to call? Um, <laughs> My sister. <laughs> and do you know what? It works perfectly. Who are you going <laughs> yeah. to call? My sister. <laughs> what word makes you laugh? Don't laugh. <laughs> <laughs> do you know why that works? Why? Psychologically. <laughs> because that, in, in linguistic terms, is a negation. Mm-hmm. And it, you can't tell somebody what not to do. Right. So if you say don't laugh. <laughs> that's it. Game over for me. If someone says don't laugh, but that's it. I've started laughing internally at least. And I'm like, Look, okay, well, you're going to have to tell me this without looking at me now. Because if I make eye contact with you after you told me not to laugh, I'm going to start laughing. So we have to now either do this over a call. I'm going to have to turn my back on you while you tell me this story brilliant I, actually that, that's my favourite answer of the series don't laugh <laughs> superb on a serious note mm. what's not funny misogyny uh, racism homophobia uh, particularly when used by people who are using it to cause hurt um, and the joke is intended to hurt particularly um, I think there is some brilliant writers and comedians from those particular communities who can use their own experience to tell a story and to put you in their shoes using comedy and probably at the heart of that story is an experience of racism, homophobia or misogyny but any group or community who's using that joke to cause harm or specific offence, those are the those are the things that I absolutely do not find funny. Hear, hear. Would you rather be considered clever or funny? I don't want to choose. I would like to be both. I'd like to think that someone said I used humour in a clever way. I, you know, I, I think you can be both. And, and actually, my argument would, would follow that, actually, because I don't think you can be funny without being clever. True. Very true. If you think about it, you know, yeah. I, and I, I saw your brain go, is there anybody who's funny that wasn't clever? Even comedians you didn't like who were funny to other people, mm. they are clever. They're, they've got mm. linguistic talents or, you know, physical talents that they can make you laugh. And the act of being funny, I think, demands a real intelligence to do mm. it. And, and I know so many comedians and they are to a man intelligent desert island gags Mm. you've got one gag Mm. that you can take with you to a desert Mm -hmm. island what is it um i am a huge fan of jokes that can be said in a sentence the one i would take with me would be my therapist says i have a preoccupation with vengeance we'll see about that I absolutely love it. <laughs> it's yours and it's going with you to the desert island. Thank you.
Georgina Holt, thank you so much for your humour and your humanity. Thank you so much for having me, Paul. It's been a joy and thank you for making me laugh. I won't forget it. The Humorology Podcast was hosted by Paul Barros and produced by Simon Banks. Music by Steve Hayworth, creative direction by Les Hughes and additional research by Helen Sykes. Please remember to subscribe, like and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Big Sky production.